This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast, or if you'd like to call it the Extra Weekly Podcast, as this will be an Extra Weekly Podcast. I'm joined today. By Blue Stuff on Twitter, formerly known as Verticality, Small Sample Size Theater, a bunch of different pseudonyms. It's Anna Jane Smith 4, and uh, she's she's very well known in the Raptors Twitterverse and the Magic Twitterverse. And I brought her on to eulogize the Raptors Magic series with me. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Enjoying my day, uh, doing a lot better since the Raptors closed out the Magic, and that's obviously a feather in everybody's cap um, for sticking it through Game One and until the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're gonna talk about it. Yeah. So, first thing I want to talk about with you, there were a couple things gone back and forth that a lot of writers were talking about, a lot of bloggers were talking about that the Magic were able to stymie the Raptors in a lot of ways in Game One make them feel really uncomfortable. And the Raptors were able to do that throughout the rest of the series to the Magic, especially for the Raptors, their defense. For you, being a Magic fan, that takes precedence over your Raptors fandom. What were the things you were happy with that the Magic did? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, it's not exactly true that my Magic fandom like is like bigger than my Raptors fandom. Uh, I just wanted them to win like two games. But there was never really much worry that the Magic were going to win this series. It was a low probability event from the start, and it would have had to have had a lot more to do with the Raptors kind of falling apart than the Magic, um, you know, playing way, way above what anyone could have imagined that they were going to do. So, you know, if the Magic had taken Game 2 at the ACC, at that point I probably would have switched my rooting, but that was not going to happen. Um, I kind of came into the series thinking the Magic would probably steal a game off the Raptors to start. That didn't surprise me. Uh, and then I figured they would probably, the Raptors would probably counter and, you know, blow them out, not necessarily by 30 points, but would, you know, come back. And then the Magic would take another one at home in Orlando, and then the Raptors would counter again, and that would be it. That almost That's almost what happened. Um, you know, game three was like, a game where I thought the you know the Magic basically outplayed the Raptors um, and couldn't 
you know, they lost because they just couldn't hit wide open shots. And for me, you know, that was kind of the story of what happened to the Magic in the series and why they didn't quite do as well as I expected, although not by that, you know, not a huge amount less. They really just could not shoot. Uh, and when they can't, and the Raptors were really smart about this because they just figured that the Magic would not be able to shoot. Now, some of that was the Raptors' really, really elite defense forcing the Magic to take bad shots. But a lot of it was the Magic missing wide open threes. So in game four, for example, they were seven for 33 from the field. They missed 13 uh, shots categorized as wide open. And now six of those shots were in garbage time. Six of those misses were in garbage time. It was like Jerry and Grant, like harping up prayers uh, and don't count. Nevertheless, like they were shooting under 30% uh, for uh, game, uh, I believe game two, uh, four and five. And that's not like them. Coming down the stretch, they were, I think, top 10 in the NBA in three point percentage. And they would just look like a young team with the yips to me. And not that young, but like Evan Fournier just did not want to shoot. Um, he would get the ball wide open and just go out of his motion, pass it. You know, he, he'd get it back and try to shoot it up. I think, you know, Louis Zatman pointed out that Isaac was the Magic were reluctant to give the ball to Isaac. Uh, and Isaac, you know, was treated, uh, couldn't shoot and was treated like, <laughs> like he couldn't shoot. And that just killed it. So the Raptors, I mean, the Raptors defense was great. It's in, they're an elite defensive team. Um, and, and it's fun to watch. But the gap between how elite they look on defense and how I think they would look at in those rare moments like in game in quarter Q4 of game three and a little bit in Q3 of game three, when the Magic started to actually hit their shots and shoot confidently when Terrence Ross would get going, Vucevic a little bit, um, you know, it that's kind of what they looked like from the beginning of February, like to the end of the regular season. And it, it's a bit of a thin line, but without that shooting, you've just got, uh, you know, it's a no hope affair because you've just got three Raptors in the paint. Um, Vucevic is not that strong. He's not someone who can overpower big centers like Marc Gasol. Um, and, you know, Isaac was uh, out of sorts, not surprising for, you know, effectively a rookie. He missed so much of his rookie season. So I was a little disappointed. I mean, I, uh, only in the sense that they were not able to pull like a second game and they, you know, they did get blown out and they were pretty much done by game four. Um, wind were totally out of their sails. Nevertheless, it was a good season for them. And so I was, you know, I was perfectly happy, you know, in the end, I was pretty happy. Even by today, I was pretty happy with the way their season went. It was like a fun rooting experience. Um, as for the Raptors, you know, they came out in game one you know, maybe not completely prepared. And then, you know, they just got dominated a little bit in the second. And then the Magic have emerged, have evolved into a really good fourth quarter clutch team, whereas the Raptors are, are the current starting lineup is is really a, a big third quarter team and, and first quarter team. Um, and so the Magic were just kind of able to hang on and and steal that win. Uh, but in the end, you know, the the more the more talented and experienced team was going to win out, did win out. There's nothing too surprising about that. And I think, you know, they were always able to counter and they were always going to be able to counter. It wasn't a, wasn't a series where the worst case scenario was that, you know, it, it would have gone to, to six games. Right. Yeah. And you noted um, how the Raptors played Jonathan Isaac. There were other things like the switch to put Danny Green onto DJ August, Augustine and just leave him there for, most of the series was also, I guess, a good idea from Nick Nurse, 
Were there any other things that you saw that the Raptors did that helped stymie the Magic more so than just missing shots? Well, I think just daring the Magic to shoot because they, they really were packing the paint, just packing the paint. And that was mostly, as I think Louis Atman pointed out in a, a piece, they're just leaving Isaac. They're just leaving him. I and mean, he was moving around, um, but he was often ending up on the weak side where it's very hard to make the pass because, you know, the Raptors are either zoning up or they're, you know, they're surrounding the ball handler. And so it's very hard for him to get a clean pass across the weak side. That's something the Magic typically do well. And they did it a little bit in the games where they were playing well. You would see Vucevic make those passes to the weak side. But that was when the Raptors defense actually started moving uh, and, you know, scrambling a little bit. And that happens when, so it's like very much a chicken and the egg thing. Like, is it the defense that allows the shooting? Is it the shooting that gets the defense moving? Um, Fine line, right? Because having watched the Magic all year, their offense looked a lot like it looked at the beginning of the season before Isaac became a somewhat credible three-point shooter. Uh, Once he did, that really changed things. And one thing the Magic did a lot during the regular season was tried to get the ball to Isaac a lot because I think they knew that that corner three that got the extra defender out of the paint, that just allowed uh, DJ and Vooch to run the pick and roll. They're a pretty good pick and roll combo if they have any room. And Danny Green having to go to DJ is not that surprising. DJ's had a nice season. He's a 42% three-point shooter. Um, you know, he's he's a little long in the tooth uh, and not really good enough to be a starting point guard on a, on, a, a really, on a good team, but like on a really good team. But as a bench guard, like, you know, he would, he would be great. And I think that really made the difference. Like you would see any time they could get the ball to Isaac, either DJ would try to make that pass to the corner or he'd pass it to Vooch on the short roll. Vooch would make the pass to the corner. They tried to get Isaac going because they needed him to be able to knock those shots down. But in the end, he was effectively a rookie, right? Or like a, a you know 1.5 rookie because he was injured so much in his rookie year. And he got the yips and, you know, a lot of the other players got the yips. And that was sort of the, but I think moving, Green going to DJ was not surprising because I think DJ of the starters was the most effective, maybe Aaron Gordon. Um but Gordon was scoring a lot on like because the Raptors were just kind of like okay you take shots, uh, shutting down you know shutting down Magic is shutting down <clears throat> DJ and Vooch and and that's you know with Green on DJ for much of the of the playoffs Gasol uh, on Vooch primarily and then the really liberal use of double and even occasionally triple teams to try to force turnovers which was fairly effective, um, you know that. I don't think it was a super hard thing to do. The, it would, you know, because the Magic didn't have, you know, it, things would have been trickier, I think, if the Magic had just gotten into the point where, like, Terrence Ross was just automatic and, and Isaac was shooting the 37% that he did in the regular season. They were able to make those passes to the weak side uh, regularly. Then you might have had to see, like, you know, more, you know, a, a more complicated issue. What are we going to do about the defense? But the Magic never really made it harder. Most of the time did not make it all that hard. And especially in the last two games, you know, they were, as soon as they got into foul trouble in game four, I think they were kind of like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> Let's just say we got back to the playoffs and that's the point. Um, and so just being a really good defense, I think, for the Raptors was was enough. And they are a really good defense. Were you impressed specifically? I wrote a big piece about it. You're breaking down Gasol, but also Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam's ability to hover around the Gasol pick and roll actions that he was being targeted in. I mean, DJ Augustine after game one 
after he hit that three, said that they wanted to target Gasol in that play type. But then afterwards, he seemed to be doing much better in it. Was there anything you saw specifically that the Magic could have done to mitigate how effective the Raptors' defense was in that play type? Or did the Raptors, to that point, just have them figured out? I think they just had them figured out. I mean, again, I really just think it comes down to you've got to be able to make shots. And, you know, you've got to be able to pass out of the the pick and roll to the perimeter and your guys have to be able to shoot. And the Raptors were getting out to the perimeter quickly after kind of sort of swarming the pick and roll. Uh, they were getting out quickly to shooters. But the Magic were making it easy. If you look, there's a lot of shots where, like, Fournier will catch and he'll just hesitate. He's just nervous to put it up. And that makes it much easier for a defense. You don't have to, you know, you can give him that extra, like, split second. Um you know, the, the most dangerous shooter they had was DJ. But DJ's not that great at the sort of, like, he can shoot the pull-up three off the dribble. But, you know, generally he's more, when he's going to shoot the three, it's going to be in a spot-up situation, which means there has to be an initial pass. So if you swarm, because the the sort of secondary ball handler for uh, the Magic in so many of their sets is Vucevic, you know, you sort of swarm Vucevic a little bit. And I thought the, the Raptors did a really good job of like knowing when to keep, just have single coverage, just let uh, Gazal defend Vucevic. Because Vucevic is not the strongest center. Like, reason Vucevic is, is good, and, and, and if you follow my Twitter, you know I love him to death, uh, is that he can be kind of the best of both worlds. He gives you that size and that rebounding uh, and that sort of post play. But at the same time, you know, he's athletic enough and, and small enough and can, you know, can pass really well, put it on the floor. Uh, he's not like a traditional plotter, but he, he does struggle with really big centers. He struggles with Drummond uh, and he'll, you know, he'll struggle with Gazal and, you know, where you can just overpower him a little bit. And Gazal managed to do that in the sense that sometimes, you know, Gazal just one-on-one on Vucevic in the post is enough to force a miss. And that will sometimes happen. It's not going to hold him to 11 points a game, but it'll keep him relatively inefficient. Other times, the Raptors would bring help. Uh, and then, you know, you just you just swarm, you just get around, make it very hard to make the pass on the short roll or pass out of, you know, out, off the pop even. Um, or, you know, try to get Vucevic to shoot threes because, you know, he can shoot. But you don't, it doesn't, you don't want Vucevic's threes to be, you know, he's not Dame Lillard, you know, he's not a player you want to be relying on that three-point shot. Uh, and in the end, you know, it really came down, the Magic had nobody that they could rely on for three-point shots, not even, not even Terrence Ross. I guess, speaking of Terrence Ross, and as you alluded to, Vucevic's passing uh, just a little bit earlier, they had some good synergy going on as far as how Vucevic's passing went over the course of the series. It seemed that he was at his best when Terrence Ross was very active around the perimeter when they shared time on the floor together. Do you have any qualms about how often they share the floor together? Any uh, disappointments with how often Steve Clifford went to those two? So I'm, I, I'm def- I would mostly defend Clifford in this series in the grounds. There was really nothing he could do. Uh, in game one and then in game three, the, the lineups that made the big pushes were the Vooch-Ross lineups. And those are the lineups that will normally work for the Magic when they really need to have offense. Those two often play really, really well together. Um, they can be quite a joy to watch. But the thing about Terrence Ross is Terrence Ross is off and Terrence Ross is on. And you never know what you're going to get. And that can be quarter to quarter because Ross has no conscience at all. It's not like if Ross has a few bad quarters, he gets in his head. Like Ross doesn't get in his head, but he gets pretty cold. And there were a lot of times where 
he was a pretty big liability on the floor. Now, he and Vucevic still had, I think, uh, the um, best and second best offensive ratings on the team, but not by much um, or not by a, a ton. And there were there were times like in game um, four, I believe, where, you know, they were producing nothing when they were on the floor together. So and a lot of that's just Ross. Like Ross is a, a microwave scorer. The human torch is what they call him in, in, rap, in uh, Magic Land. And when he's not doing it and when you have Ross on the floor, Generally, that means you don't have Isaac on the floor. Um, and, you know, it, it's not, you're just not talking about a super deep team here. It's a nine-man rotation, and your ninth man is Wes of Wendu. Uh, your eighth man is, like, Michael Carter-Williams. It, it's rough, right? Like, you just don't have a ton of options. And not having Isaac on the floor, especially if Siakam's on the floor and Kawhi is on the floor, means you're going to be giving a, up a lot more defensively. And we saw that in game five where Ross was subbing in earlier. Uh, and in game four where, you know, uh, Isaac got into foul trouble, Ross was subbing in earlier. Those were the, and through the first three games, the Magic defense was really great. They were doing doing what they do, which is defending without fouling, defending drives without fouling, and holding a top three, I would say, offense in the NBA, top four anyway, offense in the NBA to, you know, about 108 or 107 offensive rating. That's quite impressive. Um, with Ross out there, you're going to, on average, do that less. He's not a great defender. And it's hard to know when to have him in, like when that offense is going to counter the defense. Because the Raptors, and, you know, again, sorry, not the Raptors, but if you, you know, <laughs> Raptors fans who watch this series, you know, probably wouldn't realize that the starting lineup you know the magic starting lineup can produce offense they're often a very very good offensive unit they just get it through ball movement you know um east west movement and um you know system play they're a system team they don't have any great talents their best player is is vucevic so you know who is good but he's not a kind of not a kind of superstar level good and so you know, systems fall apart, particularly as the first experience in the postseason. Um, but, and, and they did, but like, it just, like, Clifford just did not have a lot of options. And it wasn't, it's not always the case that you can just put Ross on the floor and it's it's going to solve your problems. It's a real trade-off with, with keeping Isaac off. And although Fournier was bad, you know, Fournier is also a major part of that offensive system. You know, he's always out there. He's always in that role. He closes. Uh, you know, just sort of taking him out and trying sort of radical new combinations of players uh, where you're not going to have a ton of ball handling and DJ is going to be, you know, the only guard on the floor. Um, yeah, like to me, it's not like there were sort of great creative answers here. You have a team that plays very well within a very specific system. You can't go around messing that system. And, and of course, they would have tried stuff. And they did try stuff. They, they were experiment, experimenting with, mo with new stuff in the regular season in pre preparation for the playoffs. But actually, that stuff tended to be about expanding Isaac's role, having him be the starter carrying or the bench along with Fournier. Um, you know, you just don't have a ton of depth. Like, there just, there just weren't a ton of options there. It sort of works or, or it doesn't work. And uh, Clifford was always saying that. Guys have to figure it out. And that's why teams like the Magic should try to get into the playoffs, right? Because this is the only way you learn. And even if it's a bit of a wake-up call, like, okay, we're way not nearly as good as an elite team, it gives you an experience to find out why So, and what exactly the issues are. Um, and that's kind of the, 
yeah. So so no, like I I I'm not fussy about what Clifford did. I think it's just unrealistic to think there were like a ton of options that he didn't go to. You mentioned the great defense that was the defending really well at the rim. The Magic obviously have had one of the best defenses since the All-Star break, let's say, in like league wide. And also if we could acknowledge that we're talking we've been talking about the offense for the Magic for the first 20 minutes and the answer seems to come back to just there's not enough talent or shooting and there's a bit of a disparity in both of those things between the Magic and the Raptors. But the Magic's defense in this series, until the very end, seemed to be pretty good. Maybe we could talk about some things or highlight some things there that you really liked that the Magic did. Well, they're just, they just played within their system. Like, that's what their defense is like. Um, they're very long through the wing, right? Isaac's the kind of player, like, Isaac's technically their three, right? He's a seven-footer. Um, they were super, super long, and that's how they stymie teams. And if you remember in the regular season, uh, the, fr- the second and third game that the Raptors played against the Magic, um, you know, Isaac was stymieing, and Gordon sometimes was stymieing um, Siakam. But the Magic, I mean, there was a game where um, the Magic played Houston and beat Houston at home. It's full-strength Houston. Now, you know, there's a reasonable amount of parity in the league this year compared to previous years in the sense that teams like the Magic sometimes just beat teams like Golden State and Houston at full strength, which they did. And actually, I should be cautious. I'm not sure actually Magic were at full, or Houston was at full strength. Chris Paul might have been out for that game. But the Magic were just getting up under Harden for his three-point shots, like coming right up under him and just like... So he had this guy not touching them, but just coming right up, usually Gordon, sometimes Fournier, uh, on his threes. It completely shook him. Like, and, and he was just breaking threes. And the Magic managed to just keep scoring enough that they were able to, to hang in and win the game. And that, you know, locked-in defense without fouling is what they do. And they practice it. It's, it's their identity. Now, I don't know. I was reading... So I was reading, I, I was trying to find the post so I could name the guy because I, I don't want to not give credit. But I was reading this quite nice post uh, at the at Welcome to Loud City, the OKC site. And he was talking about the problems of the Thunder. And he's saying, look, you know, the problems with being like a, a, a team with a defensive identity without, you know, who struggles to score because the Thunder had similar problems. They can't shoot. Um, they're easy to sort of throw off their game when, when Paul George is not 100% is, you know, it's so tiring, right? So the fact that they were able to do it so well for three games, but to then be one and two, and you have to keep doing it because elite defensive teams that can score, like the Bucks, for example, you know, you'll see them just take defense off, right? Like the Pistons were leading them to like uh, halfway through the third in game five. I mean, they were just not working that hard on defense. They don't have to. Um, but the Magic just have to keep working because they can't score enough. So you're always behind. You can never let the Raptors start scoring. And I think at some point it just becomes tiring. So for the three games, they look like themselves. There was nothing surprising about them. I mean, they were more locked in than they're going to be, you know, playing the Knicks or something like that. But that's, you know, that didn't surprise me at all. They're, they're a team. They're, again, they're a system defensive team because they don't have any really elite defenders. They have a lot of length, but like not, like no one that you're going to think is like a defensive player of the year candidate. 
Um, but they just, they defend at the rim. They defend without fouling. They, you know, they're physical without too much contact, but eventually it gets tiring. And what happens, of course, when you get tired is you do start fouling. And that's what happened at the beginning of game four. I thought the Magic got a really rough whistle in game four, but they didn't get a rough whistle in, in the sense of what killed them. Like all of Isaac's and all of Gordon's fouls were totally legit fouls and they were just exhaustion fouls. I think basically like we've been doing this three games and, and you just, you can never take, take it off because you can't score enough to, to just take a break on defense. And, um, you know, <laughs> it was nice to see, but it was something where it's like, yeah, I, it's unlikely to last a whole series without the, the offense to kind of counter to kind of, you know, um, make it up. That was always what impressed me most about um, the Cavs in 2016 with LeBron to come back from 3-1 was there. There's this importance of every single possession over the course of all, you know, the three games that followed and just you end up winning like game seven, 89 and you watch that whole game and there were no breaks taken. Every basket that scored. Exactly. Feels like, feels exactly. like the world and no, the magic. I, yeah, totally. They have to operate under that. Like that's why I enjoyed the magic so much this year. So I always joke, so the Raptors are like, I always joke like the Raptors are my spouse because, you know, I live in Toronto and then I always have like a side piece team. And in the past it's been OKC, but this year I kind of thought OKC is probably going to uh, be somewhat depressing <laughs> and Paul, there's too much of a, a risk. I don't really want to watch Westbrook decline too closely. Um, but that, yeah, that's what they're like in the regular season. I mean, they're a team that just takes every possession. When you watch them, like you're like, just the my mantra always is just keep scoring. I don't worry when they go down 16 points because you always know the defense in the end if, as long as they're not playing like the Raptors or some team that massively outclasses them. In the end, the defense is going to be fine. Like in the end, they'll get enough stops. It's it's just keep scoring. So it's like I don't worry about their defensive possessions. I don't care if somebody hits two threes in a row and they go down 14 points. I only care if they're missing on offense because as long as you keep scoring, as long as you score enough, you'll be fine. And again, you know, that to me is really the, the long and short of the playoffs. They just couldn't score enough. And, and that is a combination of the Raptors, again, just be, being a really elite defensive team. They, they are a really elite defensive team. Siakam, uh, you know, Green, um, you know, Gazal is going to be a, a matchup specific player, but against against a player like Vucevic and I think probably a player like Embiid you know he's he's a really good defender for that kind for that typical type of role um you know Lowry can take charges he's not you know he's obviously small and and aging but he's so tenacious you know he can play a system defense it's it's an elite defense and so that's part of it for sure uh but also I think you know there's just on top of that the the sort of the yips right just and and the inability to shoot and particularly with with Fournier's just being so reluctant to shoot and the Raptor and the Magic being uh, reluctant to get the ball to Isaac and, and Isaac not being able to do much when he had the ball uh, really really hurt their hurt their offense. If if one of those guys had had a better series, I think it wouldn't have been so lopsided. But you can't really blame the players, right? This is just what it's like often when a team makes it into the playoffs for the first time. The other thing about them is they were really exhausted because at January 1st, they were 11 games below 500 and they ended up plus two games above 500, but they got into a little slump post all-star break 
They lost like to the Bulls. It was awful. Like Isaac fouled Laurie Markinen at the buzzer on a three-point attempt and ended up so bad. And uh, I remember thinking that game is just going to haunt us because, you know, and that ended up being why they weren't the sixth seed, which would have been a much better spot for them. Um, But like, they just had to keep playing so hard. So, and it, you know, if you you finally get in, you know, you beat Boston, you beat Indiana, you beat Philly, you know, you, you have to win all these fairly tough games. Um, you finally, because you've blown some easy ones, you finally get in and then suddenly like, oh, great, here come, you know, here comes a title contender. <laughs> they were tired. They were just looked at like a team like was like, hell no, we're done. After after game three, it's like, no, we're done. We're tired. Uh, and then you know, then you see the really bad play where you know they're they're fouling and the defense is is no longer, uh, you know, working out for them. Um, yeah. So, but that sort of attention to detail, that precision, um, it is a lot like the Cavs in the sixteen in the sixteen playoffs. Like they're that's why I find them such a, a fun fun team to watch, or were such a fun team to watch. It's uh, it's the most fun brand of basketball. I find it's really rewarding to watch the two point, two point, two point trade off of baskets and you're sweating for like thirty five minutes straight. It's yes. there's nothing else quite like it. It's it can't be replicated anywhere else. I guess if you could, two or three minutes, where do the magic go from here on out? What what do you hope their summer looks like? What does next year look like? What's some progression you hope to see from say Isaac or Gordon, things like that? So the magic have a bit of a messy cap sheet. Um, what they re- if they want to make a step forward, they need to upgrade at point guard. Uh, and I hate saying that because I, you know, DJ is just eth- magic ethos. This fun little guy. He's like a less talented Kyle Lowry. Uh, he just works so hard. His, re- you know, his his signature shot is the reverse layup. This tiny little guy runs into the post, runs under the basket, and flips it up, and it goes in more often than not. Um, you know, he's a guy who knows his limitations. He's completely tenacious. You know, I loved watching him. Like. Him shooting, him like shooting that three in game one, and then trash talking Mark Gasol, uh, was was just pure DJ Augustine. I I love him, but and you know he needs to be on the bench. If you want to be a, if you you know if you want to be a serious, you want to be better, right? You want to be someone who could maybe um, push, like you know a, a contender a little bit more, get to the second round. You, you need a real point guard. And there'll be two, a couple of point guards on the market. Kemba has been signaling he's out of Charlotte, which he, he should be. Um, the Grizzlies will be trying to move Mike Conley. I don't think the Magic have an offer they could make for Conley uh, unless they want to give up some of their... Because, well, even there, like, I, I don't think the Grizzlies going to want, um, you know, a, a, another young big. Um, maybe they will, but, like, that doesn't seem what they should do. They should be trying to get a point guard, and the Magic don't have any guards to offer, and they don't, they're not going to, you know, there's not really a reason to think they're going to have an extremely good pick unless they're willing to give up a bunch of picks. Um, and the thing about getting Kemba is I'm not, if I'm Kemba, I don't want to go through uh, another kind of crappy lower-tier team just because it may have slightly smarter management unless, you know, you've got people to play me with, which means if I'm Kemba, I'm not coming unless Vucevic is staying. So I think for the Magic, Terrence Ross is gone. Um, their cap sheet is just such that I don't think I, I'm expecting him to probably get $12 million a year um, for a four-year contract. Shooting is valuable. I think, you know, he would be way more impactful on a team that relies on him a little bit less. Like, you know, 
because <laughs> I just I'm not sure he's a sixth man, like maybe a seventh or eighth man. And the Magic, you know, because of the Fournier contract and whatnot, uh, they don't have a particularly great cap situation. And of course, they've got Mozgov still on uh, salary, so Mozgov is eating up um, some of their cap. Uh, the Magic, by the way, were super nice to Mozgov. Um, and, like, he was there for all the games on the bench and just cheering along. They even brought him on the road. Uh, they're, ni- like, they're a very nice organization, uh, though they didn't have that reputation the season before uh, this. But I think the new management at Wellman and, and Hammond have been really, really good. Um, so I think Terrence Ross probably goes. And then the big question is, do they bring back Vucevic? Um, so despite not having a great series, uh, I actually thought, you know... Vucevic was was kind of okay. It's off. Like, that is just a really hard position to be in when your team can't shoot uh, and when you're just the focus of the defense like that. Um, I thought only game four where he was really kind of done not working on defense and his body language was bad. He was missing bunnies. Uh, And I think he may have been a little bit gimpy at the end because of the play where Mark Gasol landed on his, his ankle. Um, so, you know, that's not a playoff that would make me think like he's, you know, that, that there are major limitations there. You could see how good he was when the magic kind of got going and when they were hitting shots. Um, he needs guard guards though, like in the same way, like Jokic needs guards, like a guy like him. I mean, not to say Vucevic is good as Jokic, he's not, but you know, Denver's struggles are like a guy like Jokic needs really good guards to play with because otherwise, you know, it's just too easy to load up on him. And I don't know what kind of money Vucevic is going to get. Um, I don't think he's a max player, but the Kings were making noise about making him a max offer. Now, the Kings might be scared off by this playoff performance, um, but it'll be hard, I think, for the Magic to bring in a top-tier guard without being able to pair him with, you know, with at least a minor all-star in Vuce. And... They, if Vucevic is pushing up into the twenties, you have to start asking if that's a good use of of money. First of all, because um, you know you do have Mo Bamba, who could have a breakout next season, just like Isaac did this year. Um, and you know it was a contract year for Vucevic. He is twenty eight. At the same time, you know to attract a top tier guard, which is what they really really need. I don't know. I don't know if, if one's coming to to pair with Mo Bamba <laughs> unless they can really upgrade on the wing as well. And I don't think they can because of their cap situation. They should be looking at trying to get a guard, trying to get uh, and make a decision on, on Vucevic. And I think with Vucevic, it's just a question of money. Like it's how much is his, what is his market going to give him? And the cynical take uh, would be something like, well, maybe teams would look at his playoff performance and think, eh, you know, you can't really have a guy like that as your number one Um, maybe we should not be making him much of an offer, in which case, like, he might be, you know, around All-Star break, I would have said, no one's going to make Vooch Max, like, no one's going to be that crazy. You know, if if he gets three, if he'll consent to a three-year contract, then 20. Uh, If he wants more, probably, you know, if he wants four-year contracts, probably going to average about 18. Um, That's just the nature of the NBA market for centers right now. Um, And if if that's true, and particularly if you can get him on a contract where you've got descending salary, so you're starting off at like 20 and then it's coming down uh, like they got for Gordon, then I think you, you probably do it. Otherwise, I mean, but that's just such a tough question. Uh, Gordon's on a very tradable contract. 
I don't know, though, with the Magic want to trade him. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be in kind of blow it up mode. Uh, I think you just kind of wait to see what Isaac and Gordon do. And, you know, you just commit to being the sort of very long, very big team. Um, but to move forward, you know, you need to you need an upgraded guard. Uh, I think Fournier would be kind of, I mean, not to be a super, like not to be a real contender, but Fournier might be good enough despite this really, really rotten playoff performance if he had, you know, was next to a real point guard, like an elite point guard. Um, but a, an Augustine Fournier backcourt, especially with both of them a year older, that, that's got to be fixed. If, if the Magic want to move forward, that's what they've got to do. So they've got to somehow upgrade in the point, in the front court, mostly, I think, at the one, and they've got to make the decision of Vucevic at the five. Uh, beyond that, I, and I think Terrence Ross is gone. Uh, I hope DJ can stay to be their their bench point guard. Michael Carter Williams had a nice run for them. He was very instrumental in the stretch run, but you could see in the playoffs, like you just can't have that guy on the floor as your, you know, as your lead guard. <laughs> Most of the time, he's just an offensive black hole. Keeping him around is kind of an, a defensive spark plug, um, though I think you know is something he would be amenable to because he has a long uh, history with Clifford, and and that could be quite interesting as as well. But an upgrade of the one, make a decision on Vooch. That's the that's the the issue. At least it's it's always good to have a roadmap, and that seems like as good as any to hope for. Anyway, I guess we'll move this to more Raptor centric stuff right now. Now that we've eulogized yeah. the Magic and their season, and uh, so you talked about before how Gasol, while not being everything he used to be defensively, but more is is more of a matchup specific player than you alluded to how he might stack up against Embiid. I also, after watching this series and seeing how good Danny was chasing DJ Augustine, top blocking off of pin downs, DHOs, things like that, he might be a really good matchup to chase JJ Redick going forward. What else can we expect the Magic series to have taught the Raptors that will help them succeed in the 76ers series to come? Well, I guess the 76ers are way better, have way more talent, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. they just have... Um, and they're very different from the Magic. I actually watched the Sixers a lot this year. I would say they were probably the team I watched fourth most. Um, and so, you know, they've got Embiid, they've got Butler, they've got Simmons, right? They should be a powerhouse. Uh, they have and not. Harris. And Harris. Although Harris is, I think, a tear down from from those guys. But still really good. And Raddick is a very good player. Um, you know, they should be, they're a team that have just been 